sound good. Your voice sounds back to normal. It's really nice. Although I never knew what it was like when it was normal. But you, when I last spoke to you, you had this very gravelly, sexy, I am JJ Cooey kind of voice. It's a little bit more like Kermit the Frog, I think. But yeah, it's, uh, it finally came back now. Right. Listen, brother. Um, sorry for the delay. You saw the chickens. The, chi- the chickens are literally opposite me. And they're, they're the younger of the two group of chickens we've got. So it's really funny, right? I'll tell you a little story. I really wanted to get chickens, right? All about this, you know, self-sustainability, be as independent as possible, grow your own food, have your own eggs, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I said to my wife, I want to get some chickens. She was like, oh, we don't have room for chickens. I went, we've got room. We can make room. I'll chop down a few bushes and all that kind of stuff. And she went, how many chickens are you thinking of? I was like, I don't know, five, one for each of us in the family. That's way too many. That's way too many. I went, come on, let's just get five chickens. So we got five little chickens. Within a month, she was like, I want more chickens. I was like, what? She was I want to get another six. I was like, where are we going to put that? She went, we'll make room. It just goes to show where there's room, where there's a will, there's a way. And then, so the younger chickens, the second lot that we got, they're very naughty. So they always forget to go to bed and they stay too late. And these automatic doors that come and close at night and open during the day. Oh, wow. Fancy chicken coop. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They, they never get in on time. So when I was walking to the garden studio, all I heard was like, they're telling me, they're like, we, we, we're, we're locked out. Please let us in. And they're really cute. That's pretty funny. JJ, I don't, I don't know if you've got chickens. They've got such personality. We don't have 11 chickens. We only have, we only have a few, but uh, yeah, we love them very much. And, and it is uh, something that, yeah, if you don't have, I think they're much better than a garden. Um, not to say that you shouldn't have a garden, um, but I think some people underestimate how powerful it is to have. In your case, you can have a half a dozen eggs every day for for a very long time now, going into the future, and that's a pretty it's a pretty big say. It's a lot of wealth if you think about it. All you have to do is learn to bake or uh, realize that that egg tastes so different than the egg that you get in the store. It's really nice. I love chickens, man. I'm down with the chicken idea. I don't know about you. I I have eggs every day in some shape or form. I love that protein ball. Nothing beats it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just don't have enough. We don't have the chickens like you do. We don't have a, we don't have the threshold. So they're, you're, they're kind of fought for. Um, If there's an egg, you know, then I usually eat it, but usually the kids grab it before I get one. The thing is, our chickens are also bantam chickens, which means that eggs are about two thirds the size of a normal egg. But God damn it, are oh, they um, good? They're they're delish. Like the yolk is very big. Would you say that the yolk is as big and then the white is smaller? That's yeah, basically yeah. what happens. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They're great. Anyway, well, there's been I, some developments. Main... I was going to say there's been some developments since you were uh, last on the you show. Think? What are some of the developments? What are some of the developments? Give me a list and then we'll talk about them. <laughs> well, you're apparently you're no longer working for the Children's Health Defense. Are you able to talk about that? What happened? Children's Health Defense on January 4th informed me that um, the contents of my stream had regularly interfered with their ability to uh successfully interact with their partners um and uh i think that's pretty close to the language that was used to describe why i'd been my position had ended and so i guess from the perspective of what happened i was laid off um they that i didn't have a a contract that needed to be ended it had no end point and so you know if they end a position they end a position and i think that's probably a 
a pretty smart way to run an organization like that. But in terms of understanding really what occurred and how I had encroached on this relationship with their partners, it's not really been something that's become clear to me. Um, I was offered a dollar severance package if I would sign a non-disclosure agreement. And so I just declined that. And so that's why I feel pretty comfortable saying this. They don't have anything to do or take away from me. Um, but uh, I, I don't know what people would think about that. I just knew that if I took that money and it helped my family for a little while, but I couldn't tell everybody how much I took, then, you know, everybody and their mom would be making up a number that definitely wouldn't have been just 8,000. And so uh, I didn't see any win there. So I said no. Um, and we parted ways. And since then, I've been back to shaking a can on the internet like you. Um, I'm not doing it as well as you, but uh, I, I, I think that there's a lot of people now who, for whatever reason, are going to have to try and figure this out. And I've been successful occasionally with getting a few hours here and a few hours there where I can consult for somebody for some reason or another. But um, overall, I'm still putting all my eggs in this basket of of there not being enough voices in America um, trying to figure out what really happened. And most people are trying to move on. And so I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people and you know this story very well. There's a lot of people who have been fighting against the vaccine schedule in America for longer than 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 most of us have even known that it might be a question. Mm. And uh, those people, they need to tag out now. Um, I'm prepared to be uh, part of this new vanguard of people that's willing to speak out and say definitively look they they've never really proved what they claim with regard to these products and i think that a very measured approach in in rolling back the requirements in america and rolling back the 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 time periods that they're given um at the very least no matter where you are on the spectrum, you can't argue against that. There is no way to defend what America does to the most young children before they're six months old. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I'm not saying that I'm, I think that some vaccines are good and some are bad. I'm not wanting to make that decision right now. What I'm suggesting is there's enough evidence on the table to suggest that what we do in America can only be described as basically criminal. And even if you're on the very, um, I believe in vaccines team, um, you still have to acknowledge that you shouldn't be, you know, trying to augment a baby as it's still developing. And that's just crazy talk. Um, it's crazy. To, all so right, there you have it. That's, let's go back a bit. Let's go back a bit. So what you described sure. with what CHD told you, in my simple brain, it sounds like we don't believe that you're entitled to free speech. We don't like what you're saying in your own private time. And um, it's upsetting to people what we're dealing with. So we're just going to let you go. Now, that to me just sounds crazy. Are you not allowed a private life? Are you not allowed to have private thoughts? Are you not allowed to share what you think and feel in your own time? Like, what the hell has that got to do with anything? And what were you saying or doing on your streaming that was so terrible? I mean, were you doing an, an OnlyFans kind of like channel? Like, for, I mean, what, what No, was no, definitely on? not. Um, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't playing Fortnite in the bathtub or anything like that. Um, uh, I was reporting about things that had happened um, 
One particular thing that I found interesting that I reported on, I think, December 23rd, um, that may or may not have been involved in this was um, that I think a couple days before the 23rd of December, maybe the 22nd, um, Robert Malone responded to some random person's tweet about um, whether Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was or wasn't qualified to be president. And it was in a in a thread where Robert Malone had argued that Donald Trump was still the best choice. And when someone said, you know, that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. should be elected president, he said no. And his evidence was um, exhibit one was CHD. And I found that strange for a number of reasons. The first reason I found it strange was that as I understand the mythology of Robert Malone, one of the first places that he went for help or assistance was CHD. Um, and and he got it. You know, they they supported him. Uh, they actually published his book, Lies My Government Told Me, with their partner Skyhorse Publishing, but also under their own, you know, publishing head. And uh, so I found it strange that he would he was at the other thing is funny. I, I was at Bobby's announcement in Boston um, when he first announced he was uh, running for president. And Robert Malone was two rows in front of me. Um, so it just seemed a very weird statement to put out on Twitter, but you know, it, you can keep telling that story and it goes, it, it can go even deeper because, um, the mythology that I was told was that the whole reason why, uh, Bobby Kennedy ever heard about me in the first place was that Robert Malone sat him down and made him watch my stream with, with, uh, Charles Rixey. Um, and it was this stream that he first saw me and then decided to hire Charles and I to help him with his book back in April 22. So it's crazy because this, this thing with Robert Malone is a long and, and weird connection with, with Bobby and CHD and me, because the first time I met Robert Malone was not in person, but actually on Bobby's podcast. And then like, Less than two weeks later, I met him in person at a CHD conference where he claimed not to remember me or not to know who I was. <laughs> and it's just a a very bizarre thing that then a more than a year and a half later, he's he's pretending as though, you know, Bobby Kennedy is a is not qualified and somehow CHD is evidence of it. And I was working in CHD at the time. And the only thing I could say was, is that I had been to two conferences. Everybody that I had met were incredible. Brian Hooker is a hero. He's the guy who drove across the United States to, to make the CDC give up the data that revealed the first real evidence that the CDC knew that these vaccines could be hurting kids and were covering it up. And so He's not the only hero that works in that organization. Lots and lots of the people that work in CHD are there because they are card-carrying parents of vaccine-damaged children. And so it's a it's an organization full of people who've been told no and we don't believe you and you're crazy and they've been told it a lot longer than I've been told it. And so I was humble inside of that organization, just happy to be there. And so um, I can be very honest and say that I was pretty blindsided when I was told that I was let go because I I thought I was basically defending CHD by pointing out that it wasn't fair for, I mean, CHD is the only organization besides ICANN in America that's even remotely trying to fight 
for for these causes and, and and fight for these truths. So I still feel that way. I still feel like CHD is that kind of organization. And I still feel like the everybody that I've ever met that works for that organization is fantastic. And so I'm bewildered and I'm sad, but it's it, we don't have time for that. Our grandkids don't have time for that. So I've just gotten on with my work. And um, okay. I think you're a guy who can definitely understand that because you also have been very good at setting an example of how you just get on with your work. Um, yeah, man, you have to get on with it. Your, I mean, the thing is, collection, your collection is getting very big. I mean, you have this, the wall must be very pretty with all the, with all the mug shots you have now. Oh, dude, I don't do mug shots. <laughs> and, I, and I don't do selfies and I don't, no, 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 none of that. But listen, listen, it no, doesn't your make... mug shots, the ones that you collect for your thumbnails, I think they're all very well done and very consistent. So you could make a whole wall. It would be very nice. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'll explain that in a second. So basically, yeah, it doesn't make sense why you were let go. So you're defending CHD. You're pointing out Robert Malone's idiosyncrasies. He's, you know, he's working with CHD or he's being supported by them. And then suddenly he's turning against them and saying, no, it doesn't make sense. But you know what? I've, I've got my own history of Robert Malone. He's a funny man. He doesn't like me. God knows why. But it's, it's weird. I don't know what, what's going on there. And I'm sorry you're caught in the crosshairs and some... You know, there's just so many egos and politics going no, on. No, I don't think I don't think you should be sorry either. You shouldn't be sorry either because it means that I think more we're more or less over the target. Robert Malone is somebody who, when we were still goofing around, um, trying to figure out well, when I was still goofing around, trying to really figure out what to do with my with my adult life. Um, he he was already giving speeches in front of uh, the Who about Phil and Fit Finish technologies for flu vaccines and so um it's an it's he's an insider he's a person who is connected to at least connected to the people who are doing this whoever that is if not i mean it's just he knows he knows more than he says he 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 knows that that gain of function is not possible in the garage of a bachelor's student in biology even though he said that in front of people in your in your uh, in your parliament, I mean, it's just absurd to assert that, and for that to be his his ending message. The guy that came on stage to apparently save us from his own invention. Um, now his primary message is that there was a virus and that it could come again and it'll be worse um, because it's getting easier. I don't know. It's just it's unfortunate it because we cannot let our young adults accept this mythology. We I, I don't know how to start the crusade, but we've got to rescue these university kids from this illusion. We definitely do. Mm. It must be worse over there. And in, in some ways, I think, because in, I feel like, I feel like in some ways, every other five eyes country had it harder than America. If only because there were, there was more permissible with inside, inside of your own system of laws. Is that how you see it as well? I mean, I, some people lock down in America. Not like in the UK and definitely not like in Australia. Well, no matter how bad things were in the States, buddy, like the fact is you've got your federal system. So you, the States have got a lot of power and there are these little checks and balances and you guys have got guns. And I know it sounds crazy, but all of these things means it limits the reach of government, the federal state. They can push, they can nudge, they can cajole, they can coerce but the reality is there's so many protections and you got things like you know freedom of speech your right to freedom of speech these basic things that are written in your constitution 
And a lot of other countries like New Zealand and Australia and Britain, we don't have these rights. Canada, we don't have these rights. There's no, you know, there's no such right to freedom of speech in the UK. So, for example, I got completely screwed over recently because of my podcast. A guest said something about Israel, which is completely true, completely legitimate. You know, there are Israeli officials advocating ethnic cleansing of Gaza and Palestine. It's on the record. Was it Dan Cohen? It was um, Eva Bartlett. So, you know, because I made a clip of that, because I made a clip of that, put it on my Instagram, you know, the hospital said, right, we're suspending you. We don't like the fact you did this and blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, a complete infringement of my freedom of speech. I don't have, I don't have any protection. There's no protection for me. You know, I can fight and I will, but there's just no system. And, and, and the UK and New Zealand, it's all homogenous. It's one state. It's a very powerful state. And, you know, we don't have guns can't protect ourselves. One of my previous guests, Nigel Watson, made it very clear. He said, the state has a monopoly of legalized use of force. Okay? So they can get their heavies, their men with batons and guns and handcuffs. And if they don't like you, or for whatever reason, you don't pay your taxes or you don't do something, they'll come around knocking your door and they can, they can use force on you. You can't use force back. This is the situation we're in. So, you know, but there's also very, very, very sophisticated mind manipulation tools in the West. You know, we have really fine-tuned the art of brainwashing. So, for example, in the Far East, in Russia and China, Ukraine, whatever, Iran, do you know what? If you speak against the state, if you upset them, they will send some big thugs around, you know, dressed up as cops or whatever, and they'll, they'll pop you in prison. They'll disappear you. They'll get some trumped up charges and you're in jail. I mean, you know, they, they can just do that. They just do. It's very blunt out there. And, and they do that shit. I mean, that's true. But here in the West, yes, they can do that. And sometimes they do do that. But most of the time, they're simply using manipulation. And guess what? It's really, really powerful. So, for example, the the ITV channel here in the UK has recently just published this um, this movie, a documentary drama series. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called um, something about the pandemic. Uh, let me find it for you, and I'll find the, the the screenshot for you. And and it's complete propaganda. So basically, it's a it's a fake drama about a fake pandemic. So let me show you this screen. Look at this, right? Look at this. This is one of the doctors pushing it. So there you go. Breathtaking. That's it. The story you haven't been told. The 19th. Oh, I saw that on Twitter, but I didn't know it was the movie. Oh my God. It's a drama. It's a drama. It's a drama. Breathtaking. Breathtaking. Um, but you know what? I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's complete BS. It's absolute BS. And the problem is a lot of people are totally, there you go, ITV, there you go, all over the place. And, and this is the best part. I don't know if you can see this right. Look at this. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the issues raised in this program, please visit ITV.com advice for support information. Because have you been triggered? Are you upset by watching this drama, this fake drama of what might have happened? Now, look, the problem is look at these comments. Let's look at the comments, right? Heartbreaking when you know the truth. Oh, 
What should have happened? Oh, Lang. Oh, sorry. He's saying the good, the right thing. Give early treatment. Yeah. Oh, there's me. Fictional drama, but fictional pandemic. Um. Oh, I mean, actually, look. A lot of these are actually calling out the nonsense. Maybe it's just showing that because. Mm-hmm. It's what, why the hell would you accept this role when it's now mainstream knowledge that it wasn't dangerous? Oh, okay. The comments are great. This is making me happy. All right, people People are seeing through this. Look her in the eyes and ask how many people she vaccine damaged. Oh, dude, this is good. These are genuine scenes from the height of the pandemic. All right, look, is this not comforting? Knowing this, this is public. This is the public. They seem to be seeing through the BS and the propaganda. But I'm yeah, just the saying. trouble with that for me, though, is that I'm worried that Twitter can now be used to give you and I that impression. Yeah, I know. That, I know. Wow, it looks like there's a wave of there's a wave of awakening happening. We're yeah. making progress. People are watching my videos. I'm I'm worried about that because <laughs> that 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 could be a very very uh, false impression of what's actually going on. I'm, I worry about that a lot. No, I agree. I agree. That's why I I'm agree. trying to transition off of Twitter. But there's so many people there that I still want to stay connected with and need to follow, and and so much information is shared there. But I, I, I genuinely hate the place. I can be honest with you. I used to hate the place. So, I mean, you know, the main reasons why I use Twitter is to shout out what I'm thinking and talk about. And you do it well. You do it well. You're probably very good at not swimming in the mud. I mean, yeah. involved. I don't, read the, do. I don't read the comments. I don't reply. I don't. Yeah, you know, I just I, I like Joe Rogan says, I post and ghost. Um, I'm not in the habit of looking through the feeds, you know, like scrolling. I don't do that. I don't I don't look out other people unless it happens to come across me. I get bombarded by people every day saying, can you retweet this? Can you retweet this? Can you retweet? And I, I do. I just don't do that. Like, it's just I, I never say to people, can you please retweet this? Can you retweet? It's just like, I just don't want to do that. Like occasionally something will come across my eye because it just happens to, you know, when I go on and I'll be like, oh, that, that's nice. And I'll retweet it. But generally speaking. I post, I ghost, I get out of here. Because you know what? I got too much shit to do. And the reality is, this thing is dangerous. It's da- you could waste a whole day before you know it just going through shit. And the reality is, I need to post things on, on Twitter. I need to do shorts and clips and post them on my Instagram. I need to do interviews. I need to edit them. I need to write sub stacks. I need to take care of my kids. People don't realize, I think, how much time I spend looking after my kids. I spend a lot of the day Looking out for my kids. I mean, just to run it down, JJ, I hope you don't mind. Like, I get up at six, half six at the latest. Straight away till nine o'clock, it's just childcare. You know, pack lunch, breakfast, getting them dressed, brushing their teeth, getting their bags, getting them in the car. I mean, it sounds like that's easy. No, with three young kids, it's hilarious. You know, you go, right, kids, go upstairs, get ready. Half an hour later, you go up. They'll sit around in their underwear playing. And you're like, what the heck? We've got five minutes to get to school and you're just still naked. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is, it's like herding cats. And then I drop them off at school. And then my day starts at nine. But by 2.30 p.m., I need to be ready to pick up the kids, take them to after school club, jujitsu, kickboxing, make them tea, do bath time, bedtime. And like, you know, what time is it now? You know, eight. Nine o'clock, you know, I mean, I don't normally do podcasts in the evening, but I really wanted to speak to you because you're amazing and I love you. Um, But, you know, like this time of night, I'm normally winding down. So I've got a, a very short window in which to do some work. But most of my day is childcare, man. It's like, 
So I don't have time. I don't have time to be messing around on the phone and reading other things. And maybe some people think, oh, he, you know, he never posts what we put up and look at him. It's, it's not deliberate. I'm not ignoring people. It's just I don't have the time and I don't really do that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a very good uh, principle. I mean, if you're not setting a pattern of 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 only, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, reposting uh, fingal ding or something like that, then I guess it's OK. You know, I mean, don't repost anybody. Um, I wonder what that does for the, the algorithm and how your, your reach would change if you reposted people or not reposting people and how that could be measured. Cause that's one of the things I think if we're ever going to, we're, I think, de- have you ever heard of, uh, this def uh, federated blogging, microblogging, you know, where everybody has their own little Twitter that's connected to each other. Um, no. There's a like Mastodon is an app that does that. Um, and Soapbox is another one that does it. There's there are ways for us to build a network of Twitter like servers that would allow all of us to communicate and follow each other, but then have a more organic, um, you know, flood of information just from the people you want to hear from. Um, it's very similar to how PeerTube works, where you can have your own video server, but then connect to other people's video servers so that you can serve their videos up too. And so then you make a network of trusted, trusted content producers. Um, I think PeerTube France is probably the best example of that. That's probably the biggest PeerTube server there is, but they, that's a pretty impressive example. Um, I don't know. But and maybe that's this. the way we need to go forward. But for now, um, for now, I think, well, you're, your sort of um, angle, if I can say it that way, of of trying your best to let people speak for themselves um, is is doing really well. I think that's unfortunately for for people that maybe didn't get what they wanted out of an interview with you. Like maybe that's how Robert Malone feels. I don't know. I thought it was a great interview. Um, if he feels like he didn't get what he expected or wanted, it's it's really not because of the questions that you asked it's i don't know it's they're always i don't know i feel like you're a pretty straightforward guy you're not too not too um not too pushy on anybody and it and you're doing a really uh nice job and so i would say i have to thank the mi6 the mi6 have done a great job coaching me (laughs) right let's yeah (laughs) their after effects team is really good right i mean their after effects team is fantastic right listen you mentioned something about um i can and before that, you're saying like, you know, the people who have been in the anti-vaccine movement or promoting like common sense. And it's time to like tag them or something, something they tag out or whatever. Are you talking about people like Dell Bigtree and, and stuff like that? Are you talking about those kind of no, people? No, I don't think any, I don't think he, I don't think he needs tagging out. But I think if you looked, for example, at the people who are actually in the movie Vaxxed, those parents who who fought before ICANN really became something and fought before CHD became something. Those parents are still fighting. Those parents are still touring around and they're still talking and they're still testifying. Yeah, my son is real and he still is messed up. And and to me, it's really time for... There have to be more people like you and me who, for whatever blessings and luck, don't have a devastatedly damaged child from any of these products, but understand the biology well enough to know that these parents aren't crazy and that their kids were actually damaged by them. And, 
and start to, you know, really move this ball forward. And I think it's, it's parents like you and me with, with lucky enough to have three beautiful kids, all of whom are for whatever twisted reason, fully vaccinated. Um, I don't know what else to say other than we need to, to, to take the, the lead here now. Um, and 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 start to contribute to this movement because they've already done a decade a decade of blood sweat and tears that have gotten the ball this far now covid's given us this opening mm. and they're not going to be the ones that push it because they're the ones who are like Andrew Wakefield you've interviewed him but nobody's going to take him seriously because of the 10 years media campaign that permanently brainwashed people not to take him seriously irrespective of <sighs> how much logic and sense comes out of his mouth time after time that the cameras put on it. Mm. Um, we need new people to, to say that those people were right. Um, and that can include um, people like David Resnick and, 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 and people who questioned viruses before this one. Um, we really do. All of us need to be humble. Um, and I think that's, that's what you've been able to manage to do very well. And I think um, it's the line that I'm at least consciously trying to walk. Uh, no, get, you want to get angry and you want to have a fire, but you also want to be humble and no, know that you don't know everything. We definitely know everything. I definitely don't know everything. I mean, to be honest, I, I just have so many questions. I reached out to my supporters. I had some questions of my own. And, you know, all the doctors in the UK that were pushing the COVID vaccine and flu vaccine and childhood schedule vaccine, I wrote an open letter on my Substack saying, Guys, come on my come on my show. You know, come on, just let's have a chat. You know, I'll be honest with you. I I don't trust any of this stuff, but you clearly do. So let's let's thrash it out. Tell me why you believe in this. And you know, what? I'm not going to trip you up. Here are all my questions. <laughs> Turned out to be 101 questions. Turned out to be more than I thought. And the 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 funny thing is, we could have gone longer. We could have got we could have had more questions. Um. You know, like, for example, today someone said to me, you know, what? just ask them this one question. Name one ingredient in a vaccine that is beneficial to your health, that you know what? You would want that ingredient in your body. You would you take it as a supplement. Name one one ingredient. And JJ, I was like, geez, man. I mean, I have to give it out to him. Darren Nesbitt, right? He's the writer of the light newspaper here in the UK. He's a musician by background and he set up this newspaper called the light and so he was on my podcast he was like that's my one question and i was like that's a goddamn good question you know name one ingredient you would want from any vaccine and say yeah i would take that as a pill and a supplement i can't think of anything can you think of anything no i think even more important <laughs> you should make sure that you say that you wouldn't take it as a pill or a supplement but that you would want them to inject in you because that's what they do and it, it, it's exactly extra important Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm um, moving on. I've been speaking to a few people and my you know, one of the things, like I said, I'm I'm on this journey of trying to figure out what's going on. Was there a virus? Was there not? Was there a pandemic? Was there not? I don't think there was a pandemic in the sense that there was a deadly pandemic killing lots of people, infecting lots of people. The way it was geographically, you know, fixed along state lines and countries and borders, that's really weird how you had these weird outbreaks. I mean, people are flying, shooting around the world and, and like it wasn't spreading like a natural infection. It wasn't, it doesn't, and it wasn't killing people. I mean, the all-cause mortality in most most countries in 2020 was like a, a nothing burger and actually all-cause mortality has only gone up in the last, 
you know, year or two. So 2020 wasn't really a pandemic as far as I'm concerned. I don't care about the official definition of a pandemic and whether it was called a pandemic by the who or not. To me, it wasn't a pandemic. But there was, I feel still, honestly, JJ, there was something because I had something in 2020, in January. I had something like I've never had before. I got really unwell. I had this barking dry cough. I can tell you why, because my wife was very sympathetic. She would say, can you stop coughing like that? And I was like, I can't help it. And it was this dry, sharp cough. And then it went, I got bit better. Then it went to my chest and I got really unwell and I lost sense of smell for like four months. And I've never had that. I mean, I had a raging fever. It, it was weird. Um, Did you say I'm, four months? Yeah, I lost sense of smell for four months. You lost? for four months yeah that must have sucked that's no eating that's lame i I couldn't taste anything like it was everything was bland that's why right it was bland everything was bland Mm -hmm. and then when it came back i was like oh my god (laughs) i can taste again so i mean it could have been a fluke could have been a cold people say you lose your senses but like i've never had anything like that so i kind of think there was something Mm -hmm. but you know what it was was it radiation was it a toxin was it emfs was it like you said the viral clones i'm open to all of that kind of stuff was it what a kind virus? of a, what kind of a med student or what kind of a doctor were you are you a guy that um were you really fired up about being a surgeon and like you know showed up on time and early and fired up in the room and got scrubbed in before everybody else and whatever because yeah. in that mindset if you would have gotten sick like this, you'd have still gone in, right? You'd have still showed up for class or you would have been at your internship for sure. And you would have not registered um, as well as you did now. I'm not saying that you encountered this before. I can't argue with that. But I know from an American's perspective that we would have gone to work and we would have tried to ignore the symptoms no matter how bad they were 100%. because we use our sick day for vacation. Um, and so when you're told by the, the, the TV that any little symptom could be evidence of a deadly disease that you might not die from, but your grandma might now all of a sudden it's something I've never had before. The details are very fine. And, you know, I, so I, I don't argue. I only suggest that the, Intense media hype um, would encourage all of us, even the smartest of us, to reclassify what we would have before the pandemic probably tried our best to ignore. Yeah, but the thing is, this was all pre-pandemic before it was even like this was January before anything was even hitting the news and the TV. And I still went to work, except like the two days when I had a raging fever and I couldn't go. I'll be honest with you. You're hundred percent right. I was like, I need to get on with work and blah, blah. And two days I had a fever. I was like, I'm not too unwell to go. And I would just like for like three weeks, just, just carry on. And the funny thing is my wife never got anything. My kids never got anything. My patients never got anything. No one at work got anything. I was like, what is this? And it's funny. It was like my accountant. I had gone to my accountant during this period. My accountant was like, man, you look like shit. You're shivering. I was like, yeah, I think I might have a fever. <laughs> like sweating. He was like, you're, you're sweating. You're on. I was like, I know. And then he, and then he, and then four months later, he just went, do my books. Do my books. Yeah. You're like, not my doctor. Do... Exactly. <laughs> but honestly, I swear to God, like four or five months later, he rang me and said, I think you had COVID when you came to my office. <laughs> nice. He Did like, you give it to him? Was he blaming you? No, he never had it. He never got it from me. No. no. Okay. Isn't that weird? Like, 
that I don't understand. I like, it, how does that work? Like, no, it, I, I, I have lots of theories and lots of cartoons I can draw, but um, I think it's all very tempting, and it gets you into a trap where you're getting into specifics that we can't know where. Yeah, I think the the thing that you started out with is the most important thing to re- always recall is that is there a reason for us to have to explain something? Um, mm. And 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 I don't I don't know I I like Paul Alexander's take that if we had done nothing in 2020 we would have noticed nothing in 2020. Um, and there may yeah. have been something that went around that some people got really sick, but that never would have been on the news and and nobody would have complained about it. Um, but something happened in in New York. I mean, you're aware of Jessica Hockett's work or or her her spiel that there's this peak that looks like a bomb went off and then it goes right back down to baseline um, and never comes back. Mm. Uh, and that's an extraordinary event um, that at least I know in America was definitely used by the PBS NewsHour and everybody to project. And you guys know well in the UK, projections were very important in terms of getting the worst case scenario accepted early on. It's the same as that Lombardy area. It feels like a bomb went mm -hmm. off there. So what do you think? What what did happen? Did a biological bomb go off? Was there dispersals? I mean, aerosols? I mean, what the frack happened? I do know know that that very recently Sasha Latipova has speculated that the DOD released um, a toxin of some kind. I just heard her on Shannon Joy um, speculate that there was no pandemic, but in order to seed a narrative of a pandemic, the U.S. DOD released some kind of neurotoxin, like James Giordano explained. I, I don't. I don't think that's a very good set of of assumptions, but that's definitely been. She definitely speculated that way. I. I. I don't. I'm kind of of the opinion that really dumb ideas can account for almost all of this. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you, I don't know so, how you feel. But. Yeah, I, the thing is, uh, the way I feel is I'm very wary of people who are very confident in saying this is the problem. This is the reason why everything happened. Um, you know, um, and, and this is the cause. You know, they're they're happy pinning their flag to one mass. And I'm very wary of that. I just like when people say, this is it, this, this is it, 100%. I'm like, man, really? Just keep an open mind. Just keep an open mind. Let's stick to basics. All-cause mortality. Was there a pandemic in the, in the true sense? No. Um, did something happen? Yes. Some dodgy shit was going on. Did we have some dodgy hospital protocols? Yeah. Did people die earlier than planned because of remdesivir and midazolam and morphine and the protocols and the intubations? Yeah. Was there bad coding? Well, deliberate bad coding, miscoding? Labeling people with COVID deaths, yeah. Was there still this massive all spike cause and all spike, sorry, all cause mortality spike in 2020? No, despite all this, right? And um, but you, you, it's almost like the people who are going to die, we rushed them along a little bit and said, "Look at all these people who died," but actually they were probably would have died anyway, right? So overall, in that year, it wasn't any more than normal. You look at the average age of people who died; they're over the. <laughs> of COVID, they were over the average age of life expectancy. They're like 82 or 80 or something like that. You know, so when I mean, you look at these and then, and what else can you tell? You can tell that, you know, medical ethics went out the window, informed consent, 
wasn't existing. There, there was dodgy trials when it came to these so-called vaccines. They aren't vaccines. They're gene therapies. You know, manufacturing process was different when it was a mass rollout. Um, they, they gave the placebo group the shots that totally contravened what they were meant to be doing, even with their EUA application. And it just goes on and on and on. I mean, these are the knowns. So the unknowns, we can speculate, but don't, don't say this is it. So, for example, there's another guy who's out there. He's written a book now. <laughs> so, you know, he's really pinned his flag to this mask, which is you can account for everything because of the bolus thing theory you know basically are you telling me that mark girardeau has a book yes does he really have a book oh no he's got a book now and he's pushing everything because of the bolus and not just that he goes all vaccines all the vaccine injuries pretty much majority of them are because of the bolus problem if you fix the bolus if you aspirate and slowly inject this toxin you can get rid of most of your complicated. I mean, how dangerous is a stupid theory? Wow, that is so, I mean, spectacular. Just, He's been pushing that in Panda for a couple of years now. Right. And uh, I've I've had a number of shouting arguments with him about it. Um, it's, it's, it's just unfortunate. I don't understand how he can be so. And it's not that I've ever argued that that it couldn't play a role. It's not that I've ever argued that that there isn't a difference between true intramuscular or true subcutaneous or true intravenous injection they are different um but this he ties a bunch of interesting things together that are actually not related like the effect that that bodybuilders feel when they inject their steroids in the wrong place or, or it just like then how come don't they get don't get me get, wrong <laughs> I don't get me wrong i mean there's there's look there's definitely like it's interesting i would say that's interesting Maybe five percent of the problems we're seeing are down to this. Maybe we need to look further into it. We need to get a study and analyze it and scientifically prove it. But it just, like I said, it's this. There's too many people out there who are just like, "This is what it's all about. This is this. I've cracked the code." And I don't know whether it's ego Mm -hmm. or what, but people really get captured in their own ideas, and it's just like, man, just. Cam, Camith, Camith the Mammoth. Anyway, you know, what I wanted to ask you was, what's really interesting is, look at this picture I was going to show you. Um, who's got the most biological labs around the world? Which country has the most, do you know? Uh-oh, what's this map going to look like? Can you see it? U.S. Uh, biolabs around the world, right? I mean, Oh, this, it's U.S. biolabs. Oh, yeah, well, we have a lot of those. I mean, look at that. I mean, this is like in 25 countries. And, and by the way, in some countries, for example, in Ukraine, I oh, might be wrong, but it was anywhere between 18 to 25. So when you see one of these hazard biohazard signs. Yeah, but those were all those were all associated with um, with Nathan Wolf and and Metabiota and Hunter Biden. So they're totally OK. I mean, they were all I mean, that's all fine. <laughs> we know those guys. <laughs> Those are Americans that have already been checked on the list. They're fine. We don't. You can ignore that. They're those, good those guys. Yeah, they're good guys. Yeah, I mean, like, great. but I mean, I mean, like, so it's crazy. You know, the question I want to ask is, why does the U.S. have bio labs in twenty-five countries, and in some countries, in some instances, more than one? So we're talking about a lot of labs doing a lot of 
weird shit. What are they up to? Or or it's also possible that it could be labs where they they pay some random guy to go sit in a room and 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 fax things around and make it seem like there's all these labs. And only a couple of them might be doing something useful. <laughs> like the one at Fort Detrick <clears throat> or the one mm. in the Rocky Mountain Laboratories. And then now you have this illusion that's just sitting, look at all these bio labs they've got. You only need one if you're just going to make a, make a sequence and distribute it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I know we have a lot of labs. I, I've seen that map before, but, but I wonder to what extent these are real versus just, uh, I don't know, cover mm. for basic arms smuggling or people smuggling or whatever other crap that they do. I'm not saying America's got some kind of, you know, otherwise untarnished record. I'm just saying that that I still am seeing worst case scenario everywhere. And it's a it's a fake worst case scenario. And this these bioweapon labs might be part of that fake work worst case scenario. I mean, Nathan Wolf, he's either a really serious biology uh you know, insightful thought uh, thought leader among among very smart people or he's a stooge and my guess is he's a stooge he's got a book he's he's associated with um with Jazane Maxwell's whatever fake UN thingy thingy she did planet Terramar or something like I, that I don't Wasn't know who we're something? talking about I oh, don't know who this I don't even know who this person is remember Nathan Wolf Nathan Wolf we were talking about Nathan Wolf because he's got associations with a lot of these Ukrainian laboratories. And Nathan Wolf was a gain of function virology seller of mythology back before it was cool. Already in 2011, he had a book called um, I was looking for it. Mm, um, I see. I see. I see. I see. He's got a mask on the front of it. And uh, he was already the guy. His company pioneered metagenomic sequencing which is taking very tiny fragments of genomic material purported to be found in nature and reassorting them into into new discoveries in life he gave whole ted talks about how there was this uh black what did he call it he called it black biology or dark biology from which he was going to discover many new life forms and and basically what he meant was metagenomic sequencing, finding viruses. And so that started already way, way, you know, a decade ago with this guy who, who, yeah, has ties to a lot of the highest parts of this, of this show from the UN to, um, to oh, a lot of these vaccines. Man, it's so yeah, complicated. It's, it's so complicated. I'm just, I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like I'm just, what am I doing navigating through this shit show called life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I was under the impression that, you know, the evil cabal wants to to get a, a one world government going. I, you know, I had the thought today. I don't know what you think of this. I actually think they have the one world government. I think they've all, they've got it. They've actually got it. You know, there, there's, there are people, the mafia in the East and the West, they're all at the table. They're all jostling and fighting amongst each other about who's going to be top dog. And, and all, all they haven't done is publicly say, this is a one world government. If you think about it, we're all slaves. We're all financial slaves. Tax burden is humongous. 90%, you know, plus. Socially, we're conditioned. Psychologically, we're manipulated. We're soft. 
We seek comfort. We don't want to be responsible for anything. We're consuming garbage and gloop. We're sick and dying. And, um, and they're in charge. And everywhere you go, no matter where you go in the world, it's the same shit happening. In the past, people left for America because things were really bad in their home countries. And they were, we're going to the land of the free. You know, you could, you could pack your back. I mean, you didn't go to America because the land was paved with gold, you know, the roads. It's because things were so shit back home, you would literally put everything in your suitcase and leave. But now, where would you leave? Where would you go? Like, everywhere is the same. And the reality is, we've got this, I think we were already there. We already got this one world government. It's just not openly wow, declared you're frightening yet. Me. Oh, shit, I didn't you're frightening me. I mean, we have, this, we have this discussion a lot because my wife is Dutch, and she has a absolutely fantastic, beautiful, extended family in Holland. And um, you may or may not be aware, but I'm not really speaking to my parents right now because they think I'm an idiot, and my brother does too. Um, and so yeah, I, 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 I didn't uh, know that. You haven't told me that. I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, but it, it does make it interesting that we moved to America thinking that me and my kids and my wife would be closer to my American family for the first time since we became a family. And then that ended pretty abruptly with the pandemic. And now mm. there's a lot less holding us here in America. But the Netherlands is it's uh, 17 plus million people with huge immigration issues and, and cultural integration issues. And it's surrounded on all sides by other countries with the same problems. Um, and so the uh, what used to be in my mind, like I could not believe how lucky I was to do my Ph.D. in Amsterdam um, from like 2000. I mean, just the time that I was there was like maybe the best the best time ever to be a resident of that city. And I walked away with a beautiful Dutch woman in love with me and in love with her and away we went. Um, but going back there, I don't feel the same like, oh my gosh, I would never think like I'm going to get on the plane right now. In fact, we would have already probably, um, we had the excuse to leave a couple times already, but it's just not the same place it was 10 years ago when we met. Mm, or 20 is he's time it's not it's man 20 years ago 20 years ago it's our 10th anniversary this year i mean the thing is holland's in a bad place i mean the war and the farmers holland germany i mean ireland i mean it's everywhere mm. everywhere in europe the immigration problem's massive you know i mean i speak to a lot of guests have you been able to talk to anybody related to that have you ever been, have you done any interviews with people related to those movements no not Farming yet people not yet i do want to but and i haven't got around to it yet I know a farmer and he's got some links. Um, I haven't just got around to it. I mean, the reality is, JJ, I mean, I'm booked up till May right now with my podcast and I'm oh, backlogged as well. And I've just had so many guests that wanted to speak. And you're not uh, a farmer, although you are a chicken farmer. <laughs> you are a chicken farmer, but, but you know, doesn't might not qualify you to fully understand all the subtleties of, of global agriculture, though. Yeah, but I, I know a little bit about a lot of things, you know, and... um. I know roughly what's going on and there's a war on farming, a war on food. And I'm worried about what they're trying to do. They're trying to create like everything, a shortage and then a crisis. And then, you know, you create the problem, you have a reaction, they have a solution. The solution is you eat gloop, you eat insect burgers, you live in these 15 minute cities, you, you have universal basic income and you'd be thankful to the state and you plug in and watch social media and porn and, 
Netflix and whatever else and you don't question the state and you'd be grateful for the state you roll up your arm you take your shot you have this army of workers that just work in these complexes and um, the elites live in their parkland you know estates the size of Luxembourg you know jetting around in their planes and helicopters while we all walk everywhere and cycle everywhere I mean that's I think that's ultimately what they want it's interesting you said about your Dutch wife. You know, my wife has got Dutch roots. She's a Dutch wife as well. Her family came that. Yeah, her family came over to the UK mm, about two hundred years ago. But from from Holland. Okay. They, they were Dutch Jewish family. And then they converted to Christianity. So yeah, my wife, you know, has got Dutch Dutch roots. So I I was um speaking to several of my Yes, and they they've all moved like a lot of them have actually moved to mexico and they were in the states they were in europe or whatever and, and now they're in mexico thinking they would be freer there and they go it's better and it's you know it's a lot freer than europe or whatever but they all say the same thing which is we can see it coming the transgender the 15 minute cities the language and um, the policies the 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 politicians at the top level are all saying the same thing. So while locally down at the bottom, you know, you've still got conservative values, you've got, you know, they're Christian or whatever. They're a little bit more, you know, just conservative, but you can see the agenda, you can see the media, you can see the politicians all pushing what the WEF are pushing. And they're saying, it's just a matter of time. We're just five, 10 years behind America or Europe. And they're scared. Cause they're like, where do we go now? Like, like literally, what do you do? Go into the Amazon jungle? Like, where, where can you run to? Where can you go? And it's like, I don't know. I feel like maybe we need to, running away isn't the answer. We need to dig down, dig in our heels, and we need to confront the beast and fight it everywhere we are, you know, and resist. And it has to be at a local community level. I don't believe in saviors. I don't think RFK Jr. or Trump or anyone else is going to save us. I don't believe in any of these figures. I'll be honest with you. I know it might upset some of the listeners. I don't think any of these people are the good guys. And even if they are the good guys on their own, they can't do jack shit. <laughs> That's... Nope. nope. And in fact, I don't think they, that, I mean, the way that this puppet puppet show works is, is obviously beyond me, but, but, even even the most optimistic person has to be realistic enough to understand that that to reach the level of national notoriety is not accidental um and this day and age and mm. and more importantly we need to understand that even if even if they're not completely deciding who rises up they are using the people who rise up for particular purposes mm. and uh even if you rise up it could be it could be very easily that some way or another they could use you for how they want to use you unless you're keenly aware of it. Um, and, and you know, they, they can still put us in a situation in a half a year where all the grocery stores are empty and uh, the only way to get your rations is to sign up for a digital ID and that means that you can't stream anymore. I mean, how hard would it be for them to do this? Um, this is what bothers me the most is that there are scenarios where I feel as though 
you know, whatever way we're clawing forward right now can be completely stopped. And so we've got to act while we still can. I really think that's why your work is so important, why mine's so important, why a lot of these, you know, these few people that are still clinging to the the notion that we need to wake up, that we missed something, um, we really need to push hard because I don't think this window is going to be open for very much longer. Sadly, I agree. I agree. And I think, um, I think, unfortunately, things are going to get tough before they get better. I don't think these evil cabal baddies are going to win ultimately because if they were that powerful and they were going to be successful, they would have done it already. Right? It's as simple as that. I like that. It, it would have been, like been happening. We've been, we've been, they actually can't. And a lot of it is, despite all their money and power and heavies, you know, they're ultimately the wizards of Oz, you know, behind the curtain. They're weak, pathetic, you know, sociopathic, psychopathic, probably squabbling amongst each other, petty, pathetic, soulless, godless. Um, and there's nothing good about them, right? So they can't be successful in the long term. They can be bullies and they can, they can have grandiose ideas about what they want to achieve. But I don't even think they're happy. They aren't, they're, what kind of people are these? They're not happy. So they're not going to win. But I think the lesson for humanity is unless the rest of us wake up and take responsibility and be real, true human beings who love and experience life and enjoy living and, you know, are happy in the now, not, oh, I'm going to work and then I'll be happy once I retire kind of mentality. Or, you know, I'll work hard now and, and I'll do this stupid job that I don't like and I'll pay off this and, and then, you know what, I'll go on a holiday and then I'll be happy because I went on my holiday. And no, 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 we, we need to stop all this. We need, to, we need to take charge of our lives now, every single one of us, and take responsibility. We need to embrace the discomfort. We need to be happy every day that God gives us. We need to fight for everything. We need to not be soft. We not we, we should not seek comfort. And and a lot of that comfort, discomfort is mental. I don't mean physical. I don't mean like in the cold or hunger. I think a lot of people find discomfort in making decisions and having to think or being challenged in their world of view. And a lot of people shy away from this discomfort and go, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to think. I'm going to abdicate this discomfort this discomfort of thinking to the TV, to the news channel, to the government. And, and you know what? That's now more comfortable. Now I can relax. No, no, no. Do you know what? Discomfort's nice. It's good. That's why I do an ice cold bath every morning. I love, I love it. You know, that's why I went for a hard run. I've never done that. Oh dude, you should. Oh my God, you should. Right. Seriously, start doing it, man. It would change your life. That's why I went for the run today. It was pelting down with rain. I mean, last night I said to my wife, I'm going for a run tomorrow, even if it rains. Lo and behold, it was raining hard and it was a muddy run and I was sliding around and I even fell once, JJ. It was hilarious. (laughs) Thankfully, no one was there to witness me in this muddy field, but I fell and landed on my side. I was coated in mud, but it's fine. It was tough. It was cold. It was miserable in some respect, but it was really enjoyable in another respect. It was fun. And I think people need to do that. They need to just 
Stop being softy. And then, then, then you take charge of your life, you know? Then you don't need the state anymore. Then you can go, screw you. And I think I was speaking to someone who, used, who, who was from a communist country, and he was saying, you know, Ahmed, when, when we lived in a communist country, we didn't protest. We didn't go out in the streets with banners and protest against the government. No, 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 no. You'd get locked up if you did that. No, what we did was we ignored the state. And we created an underground economy, an underground culture, an underground network, an underground community. And we would, you know, contact and deal. And we basically sidelined, you know, the government and the state. And I thought, that's the way you do it. You create parallel structures, you know, just bypass them. So I'll give you a quick example. I'm sorry for ranting for so long. I really want you to speak for a while. But basically... You know, don't get your news source or information from mainstream media anymore. Don't just don't watch their bullshit news channels. You know, not even I used to do. I, I'm guilty of let me just log in and let me just read the headlines. You know what? I don't even do that now. And OK, maybe that means one or two days I'm out of the loop and I miss the headlines until someone tells me. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. King Charles has got cancer. I'm like. Really? I um, didn't know. Oh, it's all over the news. I was like, uh, no idea, dude. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to consume their crap. So you know what? Consume your news from people like you or from me or some independent media outlet like Dan Cohen and all these other people. Go go there. Um, food. Don't go to the supermarket. Go get your food from your local farmer, your local community. Do you know what? Don't go to the hospital and get jabs. Stay fit and healthy yourself. Find local naturopaths. How, how big of a town do you live in? Is it a big city? I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's because good. I um, feel like Pittsburgh is really like on this cusp of where we can still sign up for local farm produce and we can still sign up for meat from a local farm. But I wonder how people in bigger cities, I don't think it's so easy for them to do that. And I, I, I think that's going to be where most of the pain is felt in the coming six months or a year cities where people can't get out, they can't escape. Um, and they can't even have three chickens in their backyard because they don't have one. Yeah. I agree. So I live in a, a village sandwiched between two small towns. Um, oh, nice. That's yeah, perfect. it's nice. And you know, opposite my house is just do the, field. Do the, do the small towns play each other in football and, and, and fight about that or not really? Not no. really. Not really. Um, but I, I, I do you know honestly i would love to have a homestead or a ranch out in the states 20 acres goats chickens go hunting it's coming eat deer it's coming it's where coming. would i go though i mean i was thinking like, pennsylvania <laughs> is the perfect place pennsylvania pennsylvania we still have elk you definitely want to come to pennsylvania um, yeah. And it's not quite as crowded as some of the, it's still close to the East coast. You won't be flying quite so far when you want to go home. Um, Pennsylvania is a good place. Maybe we can organize it in the same town. See, that's, that's how we would do it. You'd want to group colonize someplace wherever you went, you know, you'd want to go to a small town with like you and me and Mike Eden and uh, Denny Rancor and a few <laughs> other people. And then we all bring our families to one place and take over the school board. That's, that would be ideal. Dude, I actually want to start. I, I'm seriously thinking about homeschooling as well. This is what I mean. I'm not lying. I don't know what you're facing over there in the UK, but here it's very much. Um, 
I, we, we talk about it a lot. The problem is, is that it would fall on my wife probably. And that's a big, still a daunting idea for her. My, our oldest son is going to be in high school next year. So he's going to be, yeah, it's, it's, I'm blowing my mind. It would fall on me. (laughs) It it would fall on me. And, um, I think I would enjoy it. Uh, I think it would, it would mean I would have to stop doing so many podcasts, but I think a lot of my listeners would be like, thank God for that. Cause you're putting too much content. out." <laughs> I keep getting told I'm doing too much. Um, but yeah, I, I just look at what they're doing in the schools. There's a head teacher, retired head teacher here called Hugh McCarthy and Northern Ireland is one of the, you know, four countries that make up the UK. And, and he was talking about like, you know, the agenda from the who like what they want to teach the kids. And this is like, like you can find it online, the who, like, I can't remember the document name, but talking about like young kids, like four or five, teaching them how to masturbate or get pleasure from their, you know, sexual, and then talking about their gender. and Things are just inappropriate, man. Like really inappropriate. Like let children be children. Like whoever's writing this is a really twisted fracker, if you ask me right seriously twisted fracker like you don't want that for your kids you want them to live in innocence for as long as possible and just enjoy life and things will get really shit when they get older they've got plenty of time to know all that but confusing kids things like gender and this and that i mean the way i look at it i'm i'm sorry like anybody who's pushing kids with this whole gender indoctrination it's child abuse. As simple as that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, absolutely it is. I mean, there's a million reasons why it's wrong, but what you're, what, what I think is at the heart of it is the, the idea that anybody is in need of a fix. If anybody is, is, is born imperfect somehow. And it's something that, that mankind has a fix for it is really a, a slippery slope that we have come very far down already where somehow or another we're they want us to believe that we're at the cusp of 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 accepting all of it and i don't think that's true at all i they want us to believe that but i don't think there are very many grown adults with children that believe this and the ones that do just need as you said to be corrected because it's child abuse um and we need to speak pretty clearly about it i think few very few people that are given a microphone are are courageous enough to speak about it but if you have children then you must know and if you don't know and you have children then you're abusing them that's for sure yeah so when i was yeah it's terrible and and you know the way i was saying this before i i was waiting for this to come back in my mind um and i'm glad that it did i really think that for you and i one of the things to think about with that particular issue is to think back when we were kids and i know that there are Two people in my high school memories that I would designate as having been gay boys, and they probably knew it when they were in high school, and everybody else knew that they were different or that they liked other boys, but they never really explicitly said it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I'm, what I would suggest is that those people would have been very much vulnerable to a narrative where you're not gay. You're a woman trapped in a boy's body, and so we should we should stop your puberty, yeah. and uh, we should change your body. Where in my imagination, you could convince a lot of these kids not to do that by 
I'm no, not even sure if I should say this on your show. You can always you can always take it off, but some some part of me questions the idea that any of these kids are in touch with their sexuality enough to know that their sexuality is incorrect. And if any of these kids that are gotten to before they themselves discover their own bodies, um, before they've had an orgasm, it's an extraordinary thing to to draw a conclusion on before you've even explored how the machinery works. Maybe your body hasn't even gone through the changes to tell you how this machinery works yet. And so to already be encouraging children to doubt that is just phenomenal. And I think a lot of these teenage girls and teenage boys who mm. are masquerading mm. as as transgender could be cured of it with a weekend of of coached exploration of their own sexuality and they'd probably find out worst case scenario they're homosexual because their equipment works fine and it feels pretty good and i don't really want to mess with it yeah um, sure. but it's funny you should say that i you know i heard someone say this whole transgender thing is in some way quite homophobic because a lot of the people who are it questioning, is. of course it is yeah this is what i'm talking about it's homophobic it's terrifying it's terrifying to think of all these kids when I was younger and even people that I met in college that were very sure they were gay when mm. they were younger, they would have been targeted for this and they would have been confused by adults that were sure this is real. And that's frightening to me. That's really frightening. to me. So I think I think the agenda is I mean, like, let's talk about the etiology. I think the etiology is multifactorial. I think um, there's definitely something in in the food and the water and, you know, these plastics these hormone disruptors mm -hmm. so that's changing things then if you look at the diet and vegan diet and whatnot and then you know these estrogens you've got these estrogen you know type foods i mean i had someone called jay wrigley on he was talking about that i need to publish that podcast but basically you've got these really um analogs to estrogen and they're affecting men and uh, boys and girls and they're feminizing the the, the boys out there um, so you've got that, you've got the food, you've got the diet, you've got the toxins, and then you've got the cultural societal thing. I feel like the the gay community felt like, you know what, we need to be activists. A lot of them are very progressive leftists, right? And that's constant revolution. You know, we want, we want, we want our rights. Now they've got everything. I mean, gays have got the rights and everything they wanted. And then it's like, well, what's the next thing? What do we do to justify our existence, you know, these, these charities, these organizations that are pushing gay rights. How can they justify the, the funding, their jobs, their shout? Well, let's just, now it's trans, now it's LGBTQ plus, you know, so what I'm trying to say is, so they then push the agenda and then, and then just the state likes it. Big Pharma likes it because you've got patients for life. You go down the medical industrial complex, you get puberty blockers, you get surgery. Um, and also the state loves it because you're dependent on the state. You tell these kids, you know, your parents might not understand you, but we will. The the government, the, the parents might not be there for you, but you can talk to us and we'll be there to support you. So ultimately, what does this whole thing do? It disrupts and breaks up the family unit. Now, if you also believe in the depopulation agenda, Guess what? If you've got a whole bunch of kids who've transitioned, sexually not functioning, reprodu reproduction-wise can't produce kids anymore, 
Well, great. They're they're not going to be making babies. I mean, the whole. Th- I mean, I just think it's it's very complicated. There's lots of little webs here. You know. Another. I would shirt. agree with you, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought up the environmental toxicity in the in the whole story because I do think that that there's reason to believe that that some of this shift has to do with 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 disruption of of normal development from these from these materials but it still doesn't change the the biology that we can't fix it if if there's a little boy who was exposed to the wrong chemicals and now is a little bit androgynous we can't fix that by mutilating him or by giving him drugs that will further throw him off of a natural course of development those are not that's not ways to fix this um and that's the part that i find most disturbing is that the puberty blocking is just such a ridiculous term for for disrupting normal endocrine development and uh it can't be set right again um those changes are permanent disrupted permanently um and and the disfigurement that they are calling reassignment surgery is just that it's disfigurement it's no different than if you believed that your legs should be on your head and they then sewed it on your head they haven't fixed a problem um and and so yeah it's it's diabolical it's malevolent it's yucky so listen before we wrap up jj tell me what are you doing now you got your live stream have you Mm -hmm. got a sub stack yet um I have a Substack where I put my uh, transcript of my live stream and uh, uh, a published version with subtitles of the video there. It's not really, it's kind of a repeat, but it's easier for people than Twitch. Um, and it has the transcript so people can use some of the text, which is people are starting to like that. And I'm trying to work on a review to kind of follow up on some of the work that I've been doing over the last three years and summarize some of these big, big uh big ideas about the biology and how it's been distorted. I think kind of in a similar way that you did with your, you know, I've got a million questions for you doctors who have endorsing this stuff. Um, I want to kind of add my own little thing that, that somebody like Mark Bailey has already done. Somebody like Stefan Lanka has already done. Um, I want to add another piece to this puzzle of virology and how it's been distorted. Um, into a mythology that they're trapping us in. So I've got a lot of shout outs to give and a lot of, of, of hat tips to give to the people that have come before us. But um, I think there are some pieces to this puzzle that, that I and others have been able to add during the pandemic that need to be tacked on so that the whole big picture is really in one place. Um, Stefan Lanka. So I, think I don't know how far away I am. Yeah. Stefan Lanka. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting character. So he was a virologist who turned his back on virology and said the whole thing's a joke and there's no such thing as viruses. Mm -hmm. That's massive. It is huge. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, and his his opinion and his writing has to be taken seriously. Um, um, And and I I think it's just, it's part of this bigger picture that I've been trying to lay out on my stream is that my conclusion in a broad sense is that RNA virology has just been exaggerated and there are RNAs that can be identified and found and isolated and sequenced, but whether or not they grow indefinitely or whether or not they are causing a pandemic is another story entirely. Um, And, and I think that in order to 
perpetuate this mythology. They've used reverse genetics to create the DNA and RNA that they can't find in nature and then tell us that it's equivalent. And if you get enough labs and um, you can create quite a story about what exists in nature and what doesn't. And I think that's where we are. And it started all the way back with that character we were talking about earlier, Nathan Wolf. He's one of the first, you know, public figures to be talking about this huge, potentially, you know, infinite source of of new pathogens, um, dark biology or whatever it was, which was really just metagenomic metagenomic sequencing applied to a background noise. Um I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a paper that just came out of preprint that everybody has started to talk about um, where they've been able to identify a whole nother source of RNA in the background, including the equivalent of virins that are circulating between all of our microbiome. So and and in these virins includes RNA dependent RNA polymerase. So there's this huge background of RNA that we've been told in 2020 didn't exist. It's just SARS-CoV-2 and we find it with PCR. And more and more they're starting to slowly roll out the reveal that actually healthy tissue communicates with RNA and sick tissue communicates with RNA and bacteria communicates with RNA and bacteriophages use RNA and holy cow there's a lot more RNA in the background than we thought. Um, and, and I think this is starting to really speak to the idea that an RNA background has been used and conflated to create this molecular signal that everybody calls a pandemic. And a lot of what? us have been fooled and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked about how RNA is very fragile and also when it replicates, it's got a really poor, you know, I don't know what the term is, but it mutates or it has a lot of errors in it. So it doesn't reproduce identically. And so that for that reason, you just can't have an RNA pandemic. And you talked about synthetic clones. Can you make it really simple for me and explain to me what you meant by all of that? Sure. So when they, they find these RNA, let's call them coronaviruses for the sake of it in the wild. Um, what they actually find is an assortment of subgenomic RNAs, and they reassemble these subgenomic RNAs into a canonical genomic RNA. They Sorry, don't find you, you need genomic to stop. What does subgenomic mean, and what does genomic RNA when I mean? The, it's okay. When an RNA virus copies itself, we are told that it needs to take its whole genome and break it up into smaller pieces through copying. And then those smaller pieces are translated into the individual proteins that assemble into a virus. We are told that there are a lot more of these subgenomic RNAs than there are of genomic RNAs because you need a lot more of those to make all the proteins that you need to make in order to package virus new. The one thing that they don't tell you, but Robert Malone told us in 2021 already on a podcast, is that the vast majority of coronavirus particles, as they understand it, are replication incompetent. And it's likely because a lot of these subgenomic RNAs get packaged and then you're missing most of the genome. And so you have a, a virus that's got some stuff on the outside and some stuff on the inside, but it's not enough for it to continue this cycle that they've drawn in these cartoons. Things can be inferred from this. One is that you could have the passing of symptoms because if these proteins are produced and shed by somebody, then the next person that encounters these proteins could have symptoms that don't replicate and don't pass on. Um, 
Number two, the interesting thing is, is that when they when they're sequencing a virus in culture, they are sequencing this this sort of imperfect collection of largely incompetent particles, and they sequence this and they get a whole library of of fragments, and that those fragments are then lined up with each other, and they draw from that fragment a consensus sequence that we were told was SARS-CoV-2 in the beginning. The trouble is, of course, is that that sequence isn't found in an abundance. In fact, it's not found at all. It is assembled. Um, and even it's when computer, they've applied more program. recent... It's a computer model. Yeah, it's... it's Yes, it's it's if you if you had a shredded book and then you used a a computer to try and make a guess of what that book was about, um, and and depending on how good your computer was and what how you set the parameters of that guess, you could take a an encyclopedia and shred it into a million pieces. And depending on the algorithm you could use, you could find a yoga book in there, or you could find a book about war in there, or a, a book about carpentry. And it's a, yeah, or a Bible. So it's really, I think this, this, as we, we, we get more data about how much of a signal is there in the background and we get more data about, about, how little fidelity they actually have in these size regimes and in these sequencing reactions, um, then you you start to realize that there's no way back in the late 80s and early 90s they could claim all the things that they claimed because they didn't even have the resolution we have now. And when we have the resolution we have now, they still can't extend these discoveries and these claims beyond the models that they already have working. For example, we're still using, as you know, cytopathic effects to have some indication that there is a virus in culture. We haven't expanded beyond this technique, all these fancy sequencing techniques and microfluidics and all this other stuff. The best we can do is still cytopathic effects. I mean, that seems pretty shocking to me, but that's really where we are. What are cytopathic effects? Explain that. This is actually one of the things that Stefan Lanka is very, very, I think, uh, appropriately so famous for is that you take a cell culture and one of the ways that they purport to find virus is if they put a sample from somebody's lung in that cell culture and then those cells die that's that's cytopathic effects the cells dying is an indication of the presence of a virus now if they use pcr on that dish and they find the amplicons that they claim indicate the virus is there they've got all the proof they need Hold on a second. And that's almost all they ever do. Hold on. But the gloop that they make this all from is cytotoxic anyway. I mean, like, how do you know it's not just all the gloop that you just put in there and you put in your well, lung? Well, this is gonna... the argument that, that this, this is the argument that Mark Bailey and Stefan Lanka and a lot of people have been making arguments. This is the argument from the very, very beginning is that the original isolation didn't even have a control. They didn't use fluid from a healthy person and show you that the cells didn't die. Um, and this is a very valid critique of every coronavirus isolation really in history. Um, and this is not something that I've ever really argued with, which is also one of these. I've been all all on board with these with these posits for quite some years now. It's you hard sound, to argue that, that you, these you, papers you sound do. like you're going down the no virus camp. It's not a no virus camp though. It's a it's a it's a camp about the fact that the the the, the resolution method. and the fidelity that they okay. portray is a lie and that they've used reverse genetics. I believe that they can use reverse genetics to recapitulate a lot of these these 
experiments and that has allowed this field to exist that these virologists do it and they're all doing it thinking that these clones are the same thing as what they find in the bats it's just ralph barrick made this for me so that i can or you know this lab made this for me so that i can do my work but what they don't understand is none of these stocks none of these supplies none of these things would exist if it wasn't for the reverse genetics used to produce them you wouldn't be able to get them if you had to culture them you wouldn't be able to get them if you had to run to the cave every week the none of these things would exist then and that's the mm. the, the at the heart of this so there is real pcr there are real sequencing reactions there are rnas in these things but they have been they have been misconstrued as doing things that they don't do. And with that, I totally agree with all of these people. Okay, so one more thing. Just when I spoke to Robert Malone, he goes, thousands of people have isolated the coronavirus around the world. As far as I know, China produced a sequence and then gave it to the world. And everybody then used that sequence to create whatever it was. There was never a true isolation. No one has gone and isolated a live, real-life virus. Am I right? Well, the only place that I know of that they claim to have done it is the guy, the Sohomish County man in Washington State in America, because that is the only sample that they they wrote in the description that they cultured the virus and that that cultured virus is this stock number. Um, so if you do the trace through all of the documents, it appears as though they cultured the virus that he had and that they made a stock from it. And it, 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 that's what the papers say. However, they, what, this would not, be, sorry, carry on. no, no, I, I mean, still the point would be the best case scenario is that they have an assortment of RNAs that they found in this person and they made more of it somehow and they're shipping that around. But my my gut feeling tells me that this is just this is just a nonsense story. And they tell you this because the foundation of virology is based on this lie that you can culture a virus, sequence it, put it in a stock and grow some more and send it around. What they are skipping there, what they are not telling you is that the only way that works is if you make an infectious clone of it first. You make a DNA clone so that you can make lots of it and then go back to that DNA clone whenever you need to make more of it. And I suspect that all of RNA virology has been done this way for about 20 years. Sorry, can you just break down what a DNA clone is? Sure. Um, it's the same way that they made the spike protein, supposedly RNA that they injected in everyone. Um, you take a, the, the, the sequence that, that Nathan Wolf found in his metagenomic experiment, you take the sequence that supposedly the algorithm spit out in Wuhan and you construct DNA equivalents of it. And you can do this very easily using commercial means. You can order them off the internet. Just put the sequence in and order this piece and that piece and that piece and that piece. Um, and Ralph Barrick is the guy who is infamous for, for inventing this idea. But in reality, these are standard molecular biology baking techniques where you use restriction enzymes to cut 
ends that match together and you put pieces of DNA together to make a bigger piece of DNA. Um, applying this idea to virology is maybe his, his calling card, but I assure you that all of his postdocs knew how to do it. And lots of other people that work in plants and, and work in vertebrates are also using these techniques to create DNA constructs that they use in their own experiments. And so it's not a particularly tricky or magical thing that they wanted to to sound like with regard to what Barrick's doing. But a DNA clone of these these things, um, as I said, and you can't get much of this RNA from the wild because it doesn't grow in a dish. It doesn't replicate with high fidelity. And it also replicates itself with this broken structure of, of many more subgenomic RNAs than full genomic RNAs. Um, so ignoring the error rate, because the error rate doesn't really, the error rate could be relatively low and it still doesn't really matter for this argument the the dna construct is what allows them to go from a very long piece and over and over and over and over again so that in the end you can have thousands of near perfect copies of the same full genomic rna that in no other methodology in no other source could this be found because even the 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 whole sequence the consensus sequence if it's made it is a consensus sequence it doesn't by definition necessarily exist in nature but if you make a clone of it literally thousands and thousands of copies of it that you could never produce in any other way and mm. that is a dna clone mm. to a infectious rna clone that was invented by uh actually david baltimore and um that's the guy who won the nobel prize for reverse transcriptase and the guy who started the whitehead institute at at uh mit and uh is is like the godfather of all of this virology defined it all really it's how pretty impressive you think, if you think how, about how much, how much do you think of this as part of the transhumanism where they're trying to get you know to edit the human genome and and change us in some way and you know biologically modify uh, i just did a video um a couple days ago where i watched a a a talk given by the founder of the broad institute uh, eric lander as he was talking about the progress that had been made and not made with the human genome project um and how much farther they had to go and the basic message was in 2019 that the only way we're going to get through this is if we collect every genome on earth and so i'm pretty sure that one of the main priorities here is just making sure that as our children grow up, they don't think of their biology as theirs, but they think of it as something they owe to society to turn over. Um, and then this data will be farmed. This data will be used. Uh, maybe they'll even give you a universal basic income in exchange for it. I don't know, but uh, this definitely on the docket for sure. All right. Dude, it's late here. I'm getting tired and my brain's fried. Well, I'm happy you stayed up late with me, man. That's that's very nice of you. I appreciate it. No, dude, I love talking to you. You know that. I love talking to you. And what want... time works for you on my show? What do I have to do then? I have to get up early? Yeah. <laughs> You're five hours behind like me. What so... Yeah, so five on a... hours. That's not bad. Yeah, so like um, midday, one o'clock. That would be good. I mean, I have to pick up oh, the kids. Okay. 2.45 so if you do midday that means a 5 o'clock start for you and um, I'd be most grateful oh, that's perfect, that'll work cool, alright we're gonna that. set it up I'll send you some dates and times can I ask you a favor, can you send yes. me all information and where people can find you but just do a shout out now where people can find you 
your your Twitter handle, your Twitch, whatever it is. You should, you know what you should also do? All these like re- videos that you do on Twitch or whatever, you should also upload on Substack. I don't know if you're aware of that, but Substack allows you to upload like a podcast. It's really, really good. I think I you should do that. I am doing that now. I am doing that now. Yep, I am doing that now. I just started last week, so that's very good. I'm on Substack as Gigaohm Biological. I'm Twitch on Gigaohm Biological, and I'm at gigaohmbiological.com, all one word. Unfortunately, it's a dumb thing to... Gigaohm. So that's what it's called, Gigaohm. Yep. Okay. Gigaohm Biological, and it's big resistance like you are. Big resistance <laughs> comes in small packages and tall, skinny packages, and, and, and we're just going to keep fighting. All right. <laughs> All right, man. We're definitely going to keep fighting. I mean, I'm not stop. I'm not going to stop. I, I just, I'm very happy in the sense that, do you know what? I just, I look at my colleagues, mate, and they're still doing the same, same. They're just like zombies going through the motions, doing their job. They don't look happy. And I think a lot of people know something's wrong. Know something doesn't make sense in the world. And they kid themselves and they fool themselves and they immerse themselves in the work and they're chasing a a bigger car that they've got on credit or a bigger house, you know, whatever it might be. And they're not happy because ultimately they're living a lie. And while things aren't easy for you and me and we have to watch our bills and, you know, every penny counts. At least we're happy, man. At least we're doing something for humanity. And I think that's the most important thing. And we will have our rewards in this life or the next. That's for sure. I don't know about what you think, but I definitely think there's a God. Well, I'm going back to what you said before. I mean, our rewards are every day. Um, This, this for whatever reason, is uh, brought me closer to my family in a way that I would have never been if I was still obsessed with with my academic pursuits as a biologist. Um, and uh, I'm reorienting myself toward the local community. And I don't know, it's made my wife and I's marriage um, stronger than ever. And Amazing. Uh, so there's a lot of things to count as blessings. That's for sure. hundred percent. This is the thing. Like, that's another thing. Just be grateful, man. Like, be grateful that you're awake. Be grateful that you're not controlled opposition. Be grateful that you're not captured or compromised in any way. Be grateful that you can go to sleep at night and sleep like a baby, knowing that, you know what, you've done good in this world. I mean, if that is not great, you tell me what is. You know, I mean, that is just fantastic. And you've got three beautiful kids, same with me. Do you know what? I'm not going on holiday this year. I don't care. Do you know what? What should I do? Work like a dog, stress out, and then go away somewhere for a week because that, that's when I'm going to be happy? Or actually, you know what? Be happy every day. In my little garden, in my muddy field where I'm running, <laughs> falling down. <laughs> I think I think these are the priorities, you know. I think um, I'm I, I'm Very learning. Good. I'm learning myself, you know, just to to be content and be happy and be grateful, you know. It's the life lesson that I'm learning. Anyway, brother, I love you so much. Everyone, please follow JJ. He is a good one to the core, and he needs all the support. Um, he can get so please subscribe to him and listen to him he's got some great insights and um yeah love you brother we'll speak again soon okay thank you thank you very much man 